Once again, the national championship game wasn't worth watching. I mean, I, I watched it until it got up to about like 38 to, to nothing, and then I decided, well, TCU may have come back in a lot of other games, but they're not going to be coming back in this game. Uh, they lose the game last night. Georgia gets their second national title in a row, uh, back-to-back, 65-7. to SEC proved themselves once again in the championship game, did they not? So, and, uh, you know, I don't see, uh, well, it's going to be interesting. We'll have to see what Georgia can do next year because they're going to have to have another quarterback. Bennett's leaving. Who, do you think he might be the number one draft in the, uh, the NFL draft coming up as a quarterback, uh, Aaron? No, absolutely not. Now that the uh, the Bears have the number one draft pick, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll figure out somebody to pick, uh, and they need a quarterback because the guy from Ohio State they got stinks. Don't think he's the guy, huh? No, come on, come on. He did. What? He's been there two years I mean, now. He can't do crap. Yeah, I'm not an Ohio State fan myself, but when you don't have anybody to throw to in your defense, it's Swiss cheese. It's it's not easy. Uh, to uh, to play in the NFL, especially uh, when you play in a division in a, a division with the Packers and what Lions now are and the Lions, Lions now are a new team. And yeah, well, they yeah, pretty much so. They just missed the playoffs by you know very close. Yeah, very close. But he's a really good quarterback. I think he'll there. Somebody will give him a chance. He might be on the practice squad for maybe. They need it if, if he's going to do well. They're going to have to have an offense like Baltimore, because that's the kind of quarterback he is. He runs around and makes things help as he goes. Yeah, and I mean Georgia as a whole team. I mean that was just talent wise, they were so much better than TCU was. Oh, I mean they negated that speed that yeah. supposedly Michigan didn't know what to do with. Well, Georgia did. Yeah, and you know he didn't have to do a lot. I mean, a lot a lot of the stuff they did was run the ball, and then when they wanted to pass the ball, it was play action stuff. And yeah. Stetson, I mean, he was throwing those on a rope. Yeah, let, let let's uh, let's figure this out. Just because TCU didn't have their best running back, I'm just telling you, maybe they would have lost sixty five twenty. <laughs> I don't know about that either. It wasn't uh, that that defensive line is a big, big defensive line. Just go through how tall and how big those guys are. They're yeah, huge. I mean, you look at the Big Twelve, and you know TCU won some big games there here and there, and they you know they came back and won some you know some close games too. But four of them. I mean. You go look at the Big 12 and tell me how many of those teams have a defensive and offensive line like Georgia does. Nobody. Nobody. And we talked about Michigan, you know, being the team that was just And they're big, over. too. Yeah. But but they're not as fast as Georgia is. Yeah. 
George is quick. They're like cats out on the field. Yeah, the defense they were they were just flying around last night. You know, a lot a lot of defensive coordinators love seeing you know guys that get after the ball on defense, not hanging back. And George's got about a hundred of those guys. Okay, so who's who's the number one quarterback coming out uh, for the draft in the I, NFL this year? I would say, me personally, I would say Bryce Young. He is uh, this kid was the only reason. I think Alabama was even in the conversation this year because defensively Alabama was not up to par. You know, I think that game we saw last night would have been a scoring just fiasco because the defense of Alabama I don't think was very good this year. Uh, but then, I don't know, it goes back and forth for Bryce Young to C.J. C. Stroud, Ohio State, obviously. Well, Duggar's not bad. You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of the Bears quarterback from several years back. Oh, Cutler? No, 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 no. Way back. Oh. When they won the Super you're Bowl. You're talking about Jim McMahon. I'm talking, he reminds me of McMahon some. He's the kind of player. I mean, last night was one of those nights it didn't matter who was that quarterback. I mean, they could, they could have had Johnny U back there, yeah. and it wouldn't have made a difference. It's yeah, that I, simple. I felt really bad for Duke. Uh, D- Doug and I'm sorry because um, he is a really good quarterback. Yeah, he I didn't thought. have a chance. Yeah, and it's crazy. His story is just as crazy as Stetson was because he came into the season as the number two guy behind yours truly, his son Chad- Chandler Morris. Yeah. Okay, and then Chandler injures himself in the first game, and Max just takes takes the reins. And you know, here they were last night. Kid uh, had heart surgery along the way too. Yeah. It's amazing what what he's done. So, you know, see, the reason I ask is the Colts need a quarterback. And they got the number four pick this year. So some of those guys are going to be available. Yeah. Not everybody's going to go for a quarterback. Uh, The Bears got the first pick. I don't think they go, unlike you, they don't go for a quarterback. They need to get their defense fixed. So uh, they'll get somebody. What's that? Who's that guy they got? On Georgia, that was running sideline to sideline last night. Big lineman. I'm not sure, but man, plays nose he tackle. Was, he was a freak. Yeah, I mean, he was. Now that like, would be an addition to your, de- you know, your defensive line. It's like Jordan Davis from last year. You know, the big, big defensive tackle that's now with the Eagles. I mean, it, uh, and he made a difference for him. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that 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 will be interesting. So, you know. If you figure, let's see who's who's two and three. Is it was it Denver and somebody else that are two and three? You talking about the draft? Yeah. No, I've got it pulled up right here, man. Who's one is, one is Chicago. One Chicago, two is Houston. So okay. Houston's obviously going to go after a quarterback. Yeah. And then you got the Cardinals and then the Colts. So the okay, Colts, Cardinals don't need a quarterback. No. They got a good quarterback. So the Colts could get. Who knows? You know, I'd love to see him get Bennett. I think he's a good quarterback. See, Houston, Houston's going to have a big decision because Houston has got to find a franchise quarterback. You know, they just fired Lovey Smith, who I think should have never been there in the first place. I think that was just... Lovey Smith hasn't been a big-time winner anywhere. No, it didn't. The hire did not make sense. No. Two years ago, or last year when they hired him. No. But um, I think that's the big... they got to find a coach... And then they got to figure out which two they want because I think C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are your two best quarterbacks coming out. Oh boy! Then I, you know, I'm liking what you're saying because that leaves the Colts a chance to pick Bennett 
or Bick Duggan. I mean, it's Duggar, to be honest. And I like Bennett just a little bit better over Duggar. I think Duggar or Bennett is a, a, a little bit of a more cerebral player. Yeah, it's Stetson can run the ball. Yeah, like there's a lot of people weren't talking about that, and we saw that well, last. Duggar can run the ball too. He can too, but but Stetson. you got to have an offensive line you can run behind. Yep. <laughs> that wasn't there last night. No. I mean, even when they when they almost pulled off and came back and and beat Kansas there in the uh, uh, the the championship game of the Big Twelve, it wasn't his offensive line that made you know sealed off the edges for him and stuff. That was pure determination on his part. Yeah, Duggan. Duggan's a dude. I would. He's I would a competitor. I mean, he's he's going to get after it. And whether or not, you know, somebody gives him a chance, I would think somebody gives him a chance. Oh, I can't imagine I mean, somebody doesn't. Got so I mean, you've got a couple other quarterbacks too. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA, who's been really good the past two years um, since he first got there. I'm not sold on the kid from USC. Are you? I th- I kind of am. I think he's. Oh, a real, do you think I, I he think, deserved the Heisman this year? Do I think he deserved it? No, I don't but, either. Why did he get it? Because of all the all the West Coast writers that and because of Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley. Yeah. I will give Lincoln Riley. He is a heck of an offensive mastermind. But when it comes to defense, that's completely different. Like he he's got to find a defensive coordinator. Here, here's the key. You know, you don't win the Heisman if you can't even win your conference. I'm sorry. Yeah, and that was the second time they had lost to Utah too. Yeah, I that mean, was... you you don't you don't get to keep to keep going and doing that. I, I just I didn't understand that. To be honest, I think Bennett should have won it. Well, I, mean, I I personally think the kid from Tennessee, and that's a kid a lot of people are forgetting about too. Hendon Hooker. Yeah, really well, let's good. see if he comes back from the injury. That's the thing. I mean, he was he was by far the best player in college football I'm until not, you know. And I don't disagree with you, but when you get hurt, now there's exactly. all kinds of questions. That's, there are questions, and because uh, it only takes milliseconds coming off your time. You know how far, how how well you run and things of that nature. That you go from uh, a top a top choice to not being the top choice, and he's not. I don't know if people are going to be willing to take a chance on the kid. Just the way it goes. Sorry. I mean, we'll see. We, we, we've seen. Did did he have another year coming? Who are you talking about? USC quarterback Hooker. Oh, Hendon. No, he was a senior this year. Was he senior? Yeah. He uh he was because he was at Virginia Virginia Tech for two years, and then he doesn't came, even get another year because no. of COVID. Well, I think he just decided to, to declare uh, for the NFL, which you know I probably would have done the same, even though you know you have the knee injury. But um, yeah, my my opinion, he should have been in, in uh, New York for the Heisman. I don't think I, I personally don't think Stetson should have been there because Stetson as a whole, I think you could put anybody. You know, at the quarterback position for Georgia this year, and I think they would have done really good. That's how good Georgia. Okay, was. so now what you're saying is you think that you know Bennett was uh, a quarterback that was like the quarterback that Alabama had that year, and everybody could what Jacob Coker for yeah yeah. And so, I would say yeah, I would put him on that level. You just now, needed somebody back there that could babysit the offense. Yes, that's kind of what I'm saying. Now he's a good. I would say he was a lot better than Coker because I mean. Coker was such a big guy. He was, I mean, he was six six. Big guy could throw the ball deep down the field, but 
you know, there were times where he struggled in the pocket where he had to move around a bunch and couldn't get out of the pocket. Where Stetson... Then he knew how to date good-looking women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the only guy I have ever seen is a quarterback that... Uh, was it Brent Musburger that they called the championship game that year? And no, that was yeah. But you're right. And they kept was, saying they kept showing his girlfriend in the stands all the time. Yeah, I believe that was AJ McCarron. Oh, McCarron. Yeah, McCarron yeah. was the guy. That said he nobody. Everybody said well, he's not much of a quarterback. You know, he's just you know. I mean, he's been a, takes care of things. Yeah, but he knows the women to date. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always would say. My wife would say, "Shut up!" Yeah, because they kept saying they kept showing his girlfriend all yeah, the they time. Did. They did, and you know, Brent. Oh, Musburger, he yeah. wanted to date her. There's no doubt about it. See, I didn't realize it as a kid because I watched that game. But now that I go back and watch it, I'm like, Brent. Yeah, easy, buddy. He was hitting on her. On national television, anyway. It's 619 Dave Ellswick Show. I call it like I see it, and i that's what I saw from Brent. Dirty old man <laughs> doing the yeah, game. Yeah, and he was a great play-by-play. Well, he's too. great. He's still good. He still does good, good stuff. I, doesn't he still do a little basketball? I believe he's the voice of the Raiders on their radio network. Oh, is he? I believe so. I I like Brett Musburger. Look, Brett Musburger, I grew up with Brett Musburger. He was a CBS sportscaster in Chicago when I was in high school. I mean, he's been around for a long time. Yeah, he has been. When they they made the uh, College Football 100, you know, they made different shows, like, for the – Was he in the top ten? He should have been around. They didn't do a top ten. It was just like when they did decades, like, he started – Appearing when they got to the '60s, yeah, and he's been he was there up until this point now. Yeah, he was just a snotty nosed kid on the sidelines in the '60s. That's all he was. But yeah, I'm just saying, he's good. He's good sportscaster. I like him. I'm I'm I miss some people now that it, it'd be nice if they had been back. You know, who was it? Holy moly! Help! Like to had him back. I'm trying. I can't remember who he called the Rose Bowl for a million years in a row. I can't remember what his name is right now. 620. I'll I'll have it for you when I come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about Pat Davis and what he's trying to do for you. Very simple. He wants to save you money. When it comes to health insurance, he wants to save you money. I want you to figure, what do you pay for your health insurance at the beginning of the month? What's cost? Is it $1,200, $1,400 maybe? How about if you could cut that by 30 to 50%? Save you a lot of money over the course of a year, wouldn't it? Make up for the high gas prices that have gone high again and are back out there. I mean, the cheapest I found yesterday was like 275 and that was at Sam's. But everybody else was anywhere from 285 to 299 So, you know, you want to be able to save some, some money. They, he can help you do that. Think about if you if you're paying twelve hundred and you can save the fifty, you can save six hundred a month. Just multiply that by twelve, and you've saved yourself some good money as far as just the cost of your insurance. That doesn't uh, factor in. You're not going to have any more copays. None of these plans that uh, Pat Davis has has copays that you got to pay. You go see the doctor. They just call your name. You walk in there. You're not going to have to stop and show them your debit or your credit card. And uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, the big uh, price that you got to meet, 
uh, before it all kicks in, you're not going to have that either. He'll cut those down as well. So call or text him, 501-605-6935. Save money. All right? Save your money. you got better things to do with it. The number again, call or text 501-605-6935 or visit him online, yourhealthplanman.com. Hey, don't forget, uh, at noon today, we will have coverage uh, from uh, the Capitol so that you can hear it via radio. If you can't make it down there and you're not near any kind of, you know, television or you don't have your smartphone with you or whatever, uh, you can listen to us cover the the governor-elect. That's Sarah Huckabee Sanders, if you didn't know. And she'll be the first woman governor of uh, Arkansas. She'll be taking the oath of office at uh, right around noon. We've been notified about that. And yours truly, not me, yours truly, Aaron, will be anchoring that at noon today so that you can hear all the action coming from the Capitol. You'll hear the uh, the governor's, the new governor's speech and all the, the pomp and circumstance. Uh, they got things underway for the session yesterday. I will be at the uh, Capitol beginning on Tuesday, broadcasting uh, at my new hours here on the the air. A couple big changes there uh, right off the bat. Instead of going uh, starting at 6, we'll start at 7. And instead of having to stop in the middle of the show and then tell you, hey, come on back an hour later, uh, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, I'll start at 7. And uh, we'll broadcast until 11. And here's the reason we're going at 7. Give you a little inside look at broadcasting here. I sat down and talked with my GM. And he did the uh, the work. I didn't. He did. Uh, he took a look to see not only here in Little Rock, but across the nation. What were the... Number one and number two hours listened to on radio every day. I thought it was six and seven. It's not. It's seven and eight. We've changed since COVID. We've changed. Uh, Most people start listening at seven o'clock, listening in their cars, basically, because they're on their way to work, and then listen at uh, at eight o'clock. So we're going to start the show at seven. Now, let me ask this question of you, Aaron, because you have your degree in radio and TV. What are num- what's the third and the fourth most listened to hours on radio? I would say about from 2 o'clock till about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You're close. You're close. Three and four. Three and four. Okay. Three and four. I found that interesting. That That's earlier than I thought it would be. Here's what drive time used to be. Morning drive time used to be 6 to 10. That's what everybody did, 6 to 10. And uh, that covers every, that covers at 7 and 8, but you're, doing, you're making people get up extra early to be on at 6 o'clock and didn't matter. There, there really wasn't that, that flow on the, the air to warrant it. That's why we're going to start at 7. Uh, and then in the afternoon... People going home earlier, going home to to see their kids and stuff. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Enough of this latchkey stuff. 
get home and be home when your kids get home. That's a good thing to do. That's not a bad thing to do. So uh, that's uh, that's just so that's a little insight and internal information for you. All right, when we come back, what are they going to do with President Joe Biden? Are they going to impeach him now? Are the Democrats going to impeach him? I mean, he was found with uh, top-secret information not at the White House. It was at one of his offices. Oh, I mean, you know, everybody was going crazy. You know, everybody was, you know, flipping out about Trump and stuff being at Mar-a-Lago, right? Well... He's not the only one, and there's more information that seems to be developing about uh, the vice president at that time, uh, Biden, and President Obama, and where they've been storing top classified files. Getting interesting in Washington, D.C. We'll talk about, we'll bring you up to date on all of that as well, plus I'll bring you up to date on what's going on at our capital, but that happens after the news. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget, next Tuesday, we'll begin broadcasting live from the Capitol. And uh, so this Tuesday will be the last appearance for a while of the Bible guys, because uh, we're going to be uh, taking over uh, Tuesdays at the Capitol. Thursdays at the Capitol will be the same way uh, starting next week. So uh, we're going to keep you up to date on uh, all of the things that are happening at the Capitol, and there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. Uh, keep in mind that we'll have the uh, governor's uh, uh, address to the state today at noon after she's been sworn in, and we'll have the swearing in as well here at 101.1 FM. The answer, our thanks to our our partner in crime, Uh, Channel 7. We'll be carrying that over the air for you so that you can hear it. All right, so what's going down in the White House? Well, President Biden, his legal team, the Justice Department, and the National Archives have known since early November before the elections that some classified documents, we don't know how many yet, created while he was vice president, were discovered locked in a closet. Locked in a closet. In an office Biden used for years after the Obama administration ended. There's limited details about this. No surprise there. After, uh, you know, the left has been, you know, just screaming and hooting like a bunch of pack of coyotes out on the range in Texas on a full moon night, you know, talking about President Trump and Marlargo and wow, he had he had just he had uh, top secret documents behind uh, you know double locked doors and stuff. And guess what? Archives knew about it even before they started asking for him. Limited details on this, uh, first reported by CBS News, surprised me on that one, and then confirmed in a statement by a White House lawyer. It, of course, set off a barrage of questions yesterday, along with comparisons to former President Trump. Remember, Trump, they're talking about indicting him. And it wasn't just about, you know, January 6th. It's about 
misuse of government documents and top secret documents and all that. What are they what are they going to do with Biden now? So uh, they're, you know, looking at former President Trump's ongoing troubles with the Justice Department over his possession of classified records after leaving office. The FBI last year retrieved cartons of presidential and classified materials from a Largo, which were destined for the archives. Trump, a declared 2024 presidential candidate, of course, has cried foul on this, setting in motion a new wave of complaints that he's treated unfairly by Democrats for political purposes. Well, here's my question. Why hasn't the FBI raided Biden's house and his uh, and, and, uh, and Hunter's home and their friends to find out where else he's hiding out these documents? Uh, the news about Biden's records punctuated the first work day of the new Congress as House, of Rep- House Republicans vowed to pursue rigorous oversight and investigations. One topic at the top of their list, assertions that the Justice Department, FBI, and intelligence agencies may have politicized actions to the detriment of conservatives. There's going to be some subcommittees on that. There's going to be some interesting information that's going to come out about that. And it'll be interesting to see what you as American citizens have to say about that. Monday's revelations about Biden's recovered documents are all but certain to be explored by the House GOP in future hearings. And should be. Said uh, Trump Monday on his Truth social platform. Quote, when is the FBI going to raid the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps even the White House? These documents were definitely not declassified. Reacting to the November discovery of the Biden classified materials, Attorney General Merrick Garland at the time, quietly, just like a little church mouch, assigned the uh, U.S. uh, attorney in Chicago to review a small number air quotes behind uh, around that of documents with classified markings which were removed from the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement in the nation's capital and turned over to National Archivists by Biden's personal lawyer, CBS reported. The White House says it is cooperating with the Justice Department. Now, if this is Trump, let me let me give you how the media is saying this. If it had been Trump, the Trump White House is uh, uh, stonewalling against the uh, U.S. Uh, Justice Department. That's the way would do, they do it. They would not say it's cooperating. On November 2nd, the day the material was discovered, that's three days before Election Day, Almost a week before the midterm elections, Biden's counsel's office notified the National Archives and Records Administration, which took possession of the materials the following morning, according to White House. Officials have not said why the matter was not disclosed publicly last fall. I wish I had the Jeopardy theme right now. I'd start playing it and... I'll, uh, I'll I'll take White House politics for a hundred. Okay, why, <laughs> why was this matter? That's it. Okay, they're just testing it. That's in case something 
like the the big one goes up or whatever. Anyway, just so you know. Uh, I'll tell you why the White House didn't disclose it. It was right next to the election. What a <laughs> what a question to say. That's amazing. The uh, Biden papers came to light when the president's personal attorneys, quote, were packing files housed in a locked closet to prepare to vacate office space at the Penn Biden Center, unquote. Richard Sauber, special counsel to the president, said in a statement, it's unclear what the documents included, although sources told CBS that nuclear secrets were not among materials found in the closet. The Hill reporting uh, differences in the Trump-Biden classified documents discovery. See, here comes the left. Da-da-da, da-da-da. We need a little Dudley Do-Right music going on here. Da-da-da. You know, kind of music playing in the background. Because now they want to tell you, what's the difference between Trump and Biden? This is the way we're treating it differently. Trump is under federal investigation for the removal of hundreds of White House classified documents that he stored at his Florida state and was slow to return decisions that allegedly violated the Presidential Records Act, according to lawyers and analysts in both parties. The FBI last year acted on a search warrant uh, at the request of the archives in order to uh, search for and seize 200,000 pages from Trump's Mar-a-Lago property, including at least 100 classified or highly classified documents. Now, the Biden documents were discovered around the time that the attorney general tapped the special counsel, Jack Smith, to oversee the agency's criminal investigation into Trump's actions. Officials have said the investigation tied to the former president concerns possible mishandling of government secrets and possible obstruction of justice or destruction of records. That according to the Washington Post. And you know whatever the Washington Post said about them had to be absolutely true. They would never lie about that. They would never mislead you about that. To oversee the review of what was locked in Biden's office closet, which they didn't even know was there, the attorney general, who was traveling Monday with the president in Mexico, assigned John Losh, U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, a real true Democrat, he's from Cook County, I'm sure, to conduct a review. Uh, he was nominated by Trump, the Post reported, adding that the FBI is also taking part in this. Oh, yes, the FBI, the the uh, snowy white, like ivory snow, uh, FBI. Uh, the Penn Biden Center opened in Washington in 2018 as a think tank for the University of Pennsylvania with Biden as the anchor for programs involving foreign policy experts and lawmakers. I want, I'm sure that included China. I mean, I'm going to start calling Biden Sushi Joe. I mean, to be honest with you, with his ties to China. He worked there with a number of long-serving aides who also returned to the White House after his election, including Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Steve Ricchetti, who previously served as the center's managing director and is a top presidential advisor to the White House. And that's where they stop on it. So where's the big difference here, folks? Are they saying that the big difference is because there's something about nukes and uh, the president's stuff? What kind? What did it say about the nukes? You know, 
Did it have launch codes? I doubt it. And even if they did, they're not good anymore. They change those daily uh, as far as that's concerned to make sure that somebody doesn't hack us and you know, he gets in and, and then we can, you know, do you want to play, you know, and do a little war games with us or something. That, uh, that, that doesn't happen. All right. So anyway, it'd be fun to watch uh, the Democrats squirm around now. And, of course, they won't have to squirm very much. Only CBS is reporting and Fox, the only two places that are really reporting on this. All right. Let's get our uh, next break in and then we'll come back. we got more to talk about. Uh, they got the rules package. You know, a pass yesterday. Everybody said, can they pass it? Will they be able to get it done? We'll talk about that. Okay, we'll talk about it coming up here in just a moment. PI Roofing wants you to know that they are PI Roofing and Home Solutions. They're ready to do construction for you. Did the uh, water that got into your house destroy stuff going on in your walls and things of that nature? If necessary, do you need some uh, work on them? Uh, PI Roofing can do that for you. You don't have to try to go to all the different other places and uh, get the big boys to come out to your house because you'll be disappointed. They just won't want to come out. They want big jobs, not little jobs. You need a deck remade like I'm going to do in the the spring. That is one as well. PI Roofing take care of all of that now with their home solutions side. And don't forget, they also take care of the roofs. They're not they're not turning their back on roofing. That's their that is the number one thing they do. That's what they're known for, and they will continue to be known for. But you just got to call them if you need some con- construction, want windows put in, things of that nature. Call them at five zero one seven zero seven thirty one fifteen. I use them exclusively on my roof. I'm going to use them in springtime on this construction. Then I'll report back to you on how it went. That's P.I. Roofing, piroofing.com. How you doing this morning? It's a Tuesday. I'm I'm doing good. That's because I got, you know, the game last night wasn't close, so I went to bed early. You know? By the way, the guy you were thinking of a second ago, Keith Jackson. Yeah, Keith Jackson. Absolutely. Great, great caller. I mean, Kirk Gowdy was good, too, but Keith Jackson was, you know, he did the Rose Bowl forever. Forever. He's still around, isn't he? No, he did not. Passed away in 2018. Oh, did he? Okay. I missed that. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's great stuff. He's, he was a great sportscaster. Now, Vern Lundquist is retired, hasn't he? Yeah, Vern, Vern is retired, I think, but he I think, I think he still does some stuff on the side. Because he did the SEC forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ever. So they brought Brad Nessler in, and I'm glad they did because I love Yeah, he's good. He knows his stuff. I'm a huge fan of Brad Nessler. He's the voice of, you know, NCAA college football and video games for years. He knows, he knows his stuff. Yeah. That's what's important. you got to know your stuff. All right. So um, yesterday was the rules package. Remember when they were having problems uh, getting uh, – McCarthy, the necessary votes to become speaker. It was never in doubt. It was going to happen. But there were some people that were holding out. There were some things that they wanted uh, in writing, uh, some of the 20 that were against uh, giving him his vote. And once they got it in writing, then they voted for him, and then the other people voted present so that he was able to become speaker. Remember what the, they were saying about it, and, and I'm, when I say they, I'm talking about MSNBC, CNN, 
CBS, uh, you know, New York Times, Washington Post. You just go down the litany of left-leaning uh, media. And uh, they were all saying, well, if he becomes speaker, if he gets, if he gets all of his, the votes that he needs, is he going to be able to lead? Will he be able to get things done? Hmm. Well, in what was seen as an early win for the new speaker yesterday, according to the Daily Mail, the House of Representatives passed the rules package, which, man, you would have thought would never pass, according to the pundits, uh, just uh, over the weekend. Passed it 222-213 uh, with uh, relatively little drama as the first order of business for the House Speaker. Uh, it includes the motion to vacate provision, which allows just one member to move to remove the House Speaker. You know, it was always one member up until Pelosi became Speaker this last time, and that's when they moved it to 100. Uh, that uh, we went, just went back to normal order is what we went back to. And uh, one of the top uh, conservative demands was that it also does away with proxy voting, which should have been done away with. There's no reason for it. And virtual participation in congressional committee meetings, which Democrats put in plan to deal with the spread of COVID in the Capitol complex. The House Republicans are also creating a select committee on China competition. Uh, Republicans were also suspending the so-called Gephardt rule. Boy, that's going back from to, to Missouri uh, years, years ago, which automatically raised the debt ceiling when a budget was passed. That's a good thing. Uh, Congressman Andy Biggs, uh, some wins from the rules package, he said, were restores the motion to vacate rule that can remove a failing House Speaker, restores the uh, Holman rule that holds members of the deep state accountable by stripping their salary. That's a good thing. And ensures that bills coming to the floor are single subject, and I like that a lot. And you also get 72. Did you hear? The Democrats were complaining about... They were going to give you seventy-two hours to to read a uh, to read a bill. I mean, what were how were were they going to get pay, you know paid back for all the Evelyn Woods classes they went through so they could speed read and read four thousand page bills in, in in just a few hours? I don't know, but they were against that seventy-two hour rule that was actually going to give people a chance to read a bill. Now, it would be interesting if they even 72 hours is enough for nearly 5,000 pages of a budget. But these new rules will keep the omnibuses from coming. So those big, big, big bills that you you see, not going to happen. They're gonna, there's like five specific bills that deal with the budget. You know, you got uh, the budget that takes care of this. You got the budget that takes care of the military, those type of things. And they're going to go one by one and, and then do all the markups on them and stuff. And that's the way it's supposed to work. So we'll, we'll see if the, uh, if the Senate uh, sits down and uh, votes on each one or, which puts makes it accountable for the senators at that point, or whether they just hold on to them, Schumer holds on to them, and then throws them all up at the last moment and uh, makes everybody vote 
on them as a one-package deal. All right, Bible guys are up next. Uh, they're going to have uh, the other thing that, that uh, McCarthy's going to do, and I'm hearing it will happen as of today, and that's they're cutting spending to the IRS so they can't bring on those new 87,000 agents. He promised that would stop, too, and he's going to put a stop to that. He's got the necessary votes to get that passed as well. And then one, one last thing for you. Uh, if you happen to ha- if you like to to cook with gas, I mean, if I have my choices, I'd rather cook with gas than electric because you can control the heat better. Well, f- there's a couple of federal agencies out. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission is going to open up public comment on the dangers of gas stoves sometime this winter, and they might make them illegal. Gas stoves being illegal. How many years have we had gas stoves? How long have we had gas stoves? And now they're saying they're bad for your health. We need to get rid of them. And they're out to do it. U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission leading the charge against your gas range. All right, Dave Ellswick Show. We'll take a break. we got uh, uh, news coming up, and then uh, we'll get back, uh, and we'll get with the uh, the Bible guys and see what they have to say at uh, 9 o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show. David Horowitz will be with us. be good to talk to him again. 12 o'clock, we'll be covering live from the Capitol uh, the uh, swearing-in of the first female governor in the state of uh, Arkansas, and, of course, that is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Steve Hess is here with us today. The pastor's not here, and then Billy's not here. And then I'm, we're going to have to kind of play it by ear because I'm going to be at the Capitol all the time on Tuesdays. Uh, what we'll probably do is bring the Bible guys back from time to time, like when we get close to, uh, you know, Passover and get close to uh, Easter and, and all of that so they can come on and talk during uh, as as they say in the biz, high holy days. That's right. You know, when you're doing the high holy days. So we'll have them come on and do that. I want to talk to Steve a little bit about uh, some political stuff dealing with Israel. Because if you haven't been listening, you may have missed that Netanyahu is prime minister again. This is what, his third time? Sixth. Is it sixth time? Yeah. He's been around for a while. Yep. They get rid of him, and then things start going bad, and they go, well, we need to clean this up. Better get Netanyahu back. Yeah. He's a hardliner. He is. That's what he is, and, and he doesn't put up with the terrorists. And the terrorists know that, that he won't pay, put up with them. So, you know, what do you see that's going on over there? Is there is there anything that you see happening there that gives us any feeling for maybe, you know, end-time type stuff? Um. Well, not so much for him in being uh, the prime minister, but you will – if there's anybody that's going to really push against the Iran issue, it's going to be him. So most of the other guys are just kind of tap dancing around a bit, but uh, I just have a feeling that, that he's the one guy. If something's going to be done militarily, I think he'll do it. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see um, – whether it be – I mean, the news is reporting that, that the um, – that us and the Israelis are, are like doing practice runs and that kind of stuff, and I would look at that more of um, just as a warning, you know, that that kind of stuff. I would imagine it is all that is is just a uh, little psychological warfare. 
Well, you know as well as I, I do, PSYOPs is a huge part of yeah. what you do with other countries. However, we want uh, Iran to know that we are prepared for every contingency. Yeah, and I would imagine that, uh, <clears throat> you know, because there's a lot of stuff that's been happening that would be, it just looks like they're losing electrical power or things happening and then, you know, people getting assassinated. And I would imagine you'll see more and more because I, I think that I don't know how many people know that the Israelis have a, a thing called the Samson option. So I would take very serious when they say we are not going to let Iran get a nuclear weapon. because. So what is the Samson option? The, Bring us up on that. The Samson option is that they will not go into captivity again. They will not – another Holocaust will not happen. And if they feel like they so are – So they'll pull be, the pillars down on top of them before right. they'll let it happen. Right. So when Samson was about to die, he, he just said, let me take out you know one more and um, – and so he pulled the pillars down and I think killed like 300 Philistines in the process. So they have said that if it looks like we are about to be overrun and we will not go into the nations again, we will make the entire Middle East glow and we will die our own way. Hmm. And so um, they didn't use the word glow, but yeah. Yeah, I yeah. understand. Yeah, that. but they said we will not. So if we're going to lose, then we're going to take out the Middle East with us. And they were actually very close to implementing that. I wrote a paper when I was in the academy and it was um, – when I think uh, Golda Meir called Nixon and said, we've taken the Army devices off our nukes. We're about to lose. If we don't get help soon, it's about to happen. And so, Golda Meir, that's yeah. a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah. So they, they're a tough chick. Yeah, she is. Was. Um, <clears throat> but so when they start talking about this, and, and since – because we're not talking about Saudi Arabia or um, Jordan or Lebanon or anybody else. We're talking about um, – the Iranians who have made it their whole mission to destroy the nation of Israel. So when they say if they get a nuke, they would have no problems because their theology is a little bit different than the um, Sunnis. So they're, they're Shia. And their theology is that they believe that they need to bring about war and chaos in order for their Messiah, known as the Mahdi, to come. Yeah, there's some, they got a big dude that's supposed to show up, right? Yeah, and he needs to come. Uh, and bring peace and submit and make the world submit to Islam. And so, un, you know, we have a similar view in the sense that there will be this big end-time battles and wars, and then Jesus will come back and, and set up and rule and reign. But they believe that they can, um, you know, hasten the coming of the Mahdi by creating that environment. And so if they can cause the war to happen, if they can destroy the infidel, the Jews, in the in the land, then so be it. So... There's there's no doubt that they're not they're not trying to get uh, nuclear weapons because they need some energy. Well, yeah, you got to watch. You, you need to watch Iran because they're, you know, they've been uh, uh, the stuff that's going on with uh, Russia and, and and Putin to get the parts that he needs to repair his tanks and things of that nature. He's getting them from Iran mm-hmm. and he's getting them from North Korea. That's basically. All that's his big supply chain. It's not China. China kind of backed off a little bit uh, from Putin because uh, you know we started doing a proxy war with the Ukrainians. So China, I look as as strong as China thinks that they are, they're still not as strong as our military, and right. I think they know that. Yeah. No, that's why the, when when they're successful, and not to be the bearer of bad news, they're going to take us down uh, economically. It's it's not. Um, well, they're working on that hard. Right. Yeah, they are, because they know they can't take us on a, a full frontal war. They cannot. Neither can Russia. So I, I would imagine that you would probably, 
if people who are in the real big to know behind the scenes kind of stuff that uh, Russia and China have been working on that. And some have speculated because they they and India have been the biggest purchasers of physical gold in the last 10 years. So um, you're starting to see um, what's that thing called? The, the Rumani. Um, it's another currency that's been a gold-based backed currency. So that's some speculate that's why they've been the biggest purchasers because they're about to say, hey, look, America's in debt to its eyeballs. We're not. We've got gold. They don't, you know, get away from the dollar. So you think it's going to be China that tries to do that even though they manipulate the, the currency. You know, their currency all yeah. the time? I, I think that that's the only way that they can eventually be successful. So one, back to the Israel thing. Although they may buy up all our land and own the United States. Right. right. Well, and, and yeah. And, but some have also said that that's not really true because they couldn't survive without the, the money that we spend and the goods that we buy. That's true, too. But, but it depends. It could be part of their, their long-term plan to go, well, if we get all of our business over here, we could actually shut them down. And we saw part of that with COVID, and that's why we're having supply chain issues. And if they're – if they're willing to make those sacrifices in order to get us out of everybody's business, then they may do that. That would be interesting because if we decide to uh, do what we should do, and that is start making our own drugs and things again here and within our own bo- uh, uh, borders, although the left is doing everything they can to get, erase our borders, right. uh, that puts us back in a strong position again. But we'll, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, but the other thing back with uh, Israel, the okay. they they have kind of a their system is a little crazy. So there was a, when I was up in New Jersey, I was talking to a guy that just moved back here from Israel, and he said he he loves the American system much more than the Israeli system. Well, there's some you know consistency, continuality to our right, system because he said, even though we would, I would like I'm I'm a guy that would love to see another party. You know, just to kind of end this, you know, mom and dad fighting all the time and just mm-hmm. have somebody kind of mix it up a little bit. But he said with the, the problem that they have over there with they have so many parties, they have like 30 parties. And so when they have to get all these coalitions and they have something else that they're allowed to do, and if they ever have um, a vote of, of confidence. So that's why they've had so many elections in the last 10 years, because they literally this summer, I don't I don't remember how many um people are required but somebody from the Knesset could stand up and say I vote that we have no confidence in Netanyahu we, and, we just saw that play out in our, our own government I mean that's called vacating the seat for us and, at least in the house so they could do that and then they would have to go and if they had enough um, members of the Knesset vote against it or for it then they would go right back to elections again so that's one of the things that kind of makes all of that chaos, so chaotic over there and why there's been so many elections that's as I watched the McCarthy thing play out i made that, that statement you remember that aaron i was talking about what are we wanting to be the knesset you know because that's basically what i was referring to is exactly what you're talking about yep so we'll see um but i would anticipate something happening whether it be whether we start flying planes over there and dropping bombs or whether they just continue more from the covert stuff that netanyahu's not going to play with iran so that would be the biggest thing i see changing with him well the more i i mean i've been listening and look uh, biden it's no no secret that he wanted to do uh some kind of deal with them but it looks like that's been put off now because of their close uh, relationship now with Russia. So 
makes interesting conversation for sure. And it does, and we, when we come back from the break, we can talk about why this could be some prophetically significant stuff, because there is mention of a couple of those nations that seem to be together, um, and that there's something's going to draw Russia in more into the Middle East. If- uh, all right. Well, let's talk about that. It's 17 after 7. Steve Hess is here. It's the Bible Guys segment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll talk to him about what could this be portending for end times when we continue. Don't forget about East End Towing. East End Towing is ready to help you if you get stuck on the side of the road. Uh, they know how to deal with all the situations that are out there. They know what they need to do to get you off the side of the road. They know how to get you to a place that you want to go to be uh, have your car repaired or your trailer repaired or your uh, you know might be uh, you got yourself a camper get it taken care of or maybe you're driving your tra- your camper and you need to get it fixed. They've got um, look they got the trucks from little to big. That they can handle from car up to, uh, you know, big class H campers that you might have. They can do it all, no matter the situation. East End Towing can handle it for you. All you have to do is call them. It's 501-888-8849. 501-888-8849. All right, Steve Hess, our special guest here this hour. He's with the Bible Guys. He joins us here for the rest of this hour. We've been talking about what's going on over in Israel right now. Of course, uh, Netanyahu is back as prime minister. I didn't realize this was his sixth time around, but he's been around for a while now. And uh, he's known as a hardliner, and uh, he doesn't put up with terrorism and things of that nature. And he believes that Israel should be able to expand if they want it to expand. They're not wanting to right now. But, um, you know, Gaza Heights and things of that nature, he's very protective of. Mm-hmm. Because if you allow the, you know, the the Arabs to have full run up there, they're looking down on you. I mean, they got the high ground as far as that's concerned. Would not be a good place to be. But uh, you were saying that looking at what Russia is doing, there's some things for us to consider as far as end time type uh, information. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's a. And I don't take in a very um, absolute position on a lot of these things. Um, well, that's because Judaism is an absolute on this kind of stuff. Right. And so one of the things um, in uh, the book of Ezekiel, it says that um, this prophecy came to Ezekiel. It says, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, chief to the chief prince of Meshach, Tubal, and prophesy against them. It says that the Lord God, behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn thee back, and I will put hooks in thy jaw, and I will bring thee forth into my army, the horses, the horsemen, and all of them clothed with all kinds of armor, uh, even a great company with bucklers and shields. So it's just a biblical way of saying a whole lot of stuff and a big military. And it says he's going to include Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya uh, with them, and all with the shield and the helmet of Gomer and all of their bands. So that whole area and all of those places mentioned, uh, when you see Persia and then Meshach and Tubal and all of that, uh, that is northern, the uttermost north part of Turkey, southern Russia. That, a couple of those areas have been up for debate. Uh, and then Gomer would be in some places considered uh, Greece, but it could also be far west Turkey. 
So when you see things in meetings that happen between Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Now, Turkey doesn't make me comfortable. Right. No, because they have this the whole idea of, of rebirthing the Ottomans, right? So that that's uh, one of the things that Erdogan believes is his purpose, is to regain a lot of that area that was lost. Well, guess what? That area that was lost used to belong to Persia, Iran, you know, years ago. So they all have this rebuilding of the glory of the empire, except for Russia. I, th- I do think that people have overplayed um, and worried about uh, Russia because they – I believe if there's anything that Putin wants to do, he just wants to take back what was lost. Um, and one of the reasons I didn't – I had a lot of friends that started getting up in arms when, when Putin went into Russia – I'm sorry, went into Ukraine, and, and they started bringing up this prophecy about Ezekiel. Well, one of the things they don't know is the, the main way that Russia gets around is by rail. It's why the Ukrainians went after that rail bridge, that train bridge. Uh, several months ago is because that's their main mode of moving stuff around. Well, they don't have trains that are going all the way down to Jerusalem. So something's going to have to change significantly, and that's why when we see that term there that says he's going to have to put hooks in their jaw, I mean, it's going to, something's going to happen that basically forces the northern part, and the debate is, is it Russia and Turkey, or is it both, and in a company with Persia? Well, we also have to be careful with just saying Iran, because when this was written, Persia encompassed a lot more land. It included Iraq. It included modern Jordan. Mm-hmm. It included uh, Lebanon. And, and even parts of Turkey or of, uh, Egypt. That's <coughs> so, why Persian is still spoken in those areas, right? So it's um, with a focus on Persia, with uh, these nations coming together. Mainly, what I'm referring to is Turkey and uh, Russia and Iran. I mean, they're having regular meetings, and it makes the news all the time. And so it's kind of go why, and it and is. Does Netanyahu, does Israel do something, us with them, do something that causes strain within those relationships that maybe potentially brings about this war? It's it's a very interesting to watch. But either way, however um, that plays out, Netanyahu's not going to let them get nukes. Okay. He's so just not. Let me bring you up on a story I got here, uh, not dealing with uh, the Middle East, but with America itself. And uh, here's what it says. It says... Since President Biden took office, several polls have shown that Americans are concerned about the direction of the country under his leadership. As a result, Biden's overall job approval rating has been underwater. Uh, Now, as issues like inflation and the border crisis continue to worsen, most Americans say they don't feel optimistic about their, their direction of the country in 2023. A CBS News YouGov poll, see it's not from Fox, it's from CBS, published uh, Monday showed that 71% of you said that you feel either scared or angry about the direction of the country. The smallest amount, 11%, say you were excited about things in the United States over the next year. Scared, angry, anti-biblical. Mm. That's the way I look at that. And if, if you're living in fear you're, and, and you're a follower of Christ, you are totally saying that you're an atheist. Right, right. I, it's funny you bring this up because i got a daughter that's about to get married, and, and we were talking about children, grandchildren, and, and she brought up, she goes, this place is crazy. Um, it's always right. been crazy. And, and I used the, the example I used to her as I said, it, yes, 
but it's not as bad as you think it is. And then, um, you know, and she because she she's engaged, you know, politically and, and listening to a lot of the stuff and she'll hear all that stuff and get a little nervous. And I said, well, let me give you an example. I said, do you think that after 19 in 1920, right after World War One, that people didn't want to have children, that they were concerned about the world and World war? I said, what if they would have chosen not to have a bunch of children? I said, that generation right after World War I, it's that produced the greatest generation that got us through World War II. Mm-hmm. I said, so if they would have just hunkered down and said, we're not having kids and bringing kids into this place, because the Great War, the war to end all wars, would have been really kind of a big thing for the people back then, because they hadn't seen anything that involved basically the whole globe. And I said, so if they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have created the generation that got through the Great Depression and led us through World War II. I said, so you can't let what you see cause you to not react you know and you just got to trust that and i mean you got to be smart right you don't want to make irrational financial decisions all this other stuff but you got to just trust that the lord will see you through it yeah and i trust the lord he's in control i mean that's that's never been or it should never be in question in people's minds he says that over and over and over and over again in his word that uh fear not that's right and that uh you know, as far as fear goes, that's of the devil. That's not that's, right. a, that's not of God. Yeah. So keep that in mind. All right, we've got to take a break. Then Steve Hess and I will come back and we'll talk further here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we've got uh, Bill O'Reilly coming up. He'll have some things to tell you. Speaking of bad times and not having kids, what do you think they thought after World War II? After, you know, 60 million people had been, you know, killed on the globe. I've got to think that... They weren't looking forward to having kids at that time, but they were, really. All right. All right. We continue on. I'm just looking at uh, a website, and it talked about 14 major things that will happen before Christ comes back. And I'm just kind of flipping through the story here, seeing if it's got uh, something set up as far as got them 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and evidently it doesn't. Uh, but it says uh, it says the covenant with Israel Christ will deal with the world of the Gentiles pictured in the ten nation group and the world empire that follows according to Daniel in the seven year period leading up to his second coming this is part of the 70 times seven years of God's dealing with the people of Israel beginning with the restoration of the city of Jerusalem in 444 BC. Do you go along with that? Uh, uh yes, the majority of it, yes. Okay. Says so these 490 years, however, are divided into three periods with the first two consecutive, but the last 7 years will be separated from the preceding period by the present age that intervenes during which God is calling out his church. Once the rapture to church takes place, however, it will be possible for God to bring about the fulfillment of the last seven years described in Daniel 9, 27. Here's what it says. It says, He, the ruler who will come, verse 25, will confirm a covenant with many for one, seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering, the last seven years preceding the second coming begin when the covenant is made, probably shortly after the rapture. <clears throat> um, so here's what I mean by mostly, probably okay. 90, 95% of that. 
So that prophecy in Daniel is one of the biggest um, Messianic prophecies in all of Scripture because, as you said, it was approximately uh, 444 B.C. Well, yes. if you take that, that four um, – I'm sorry, the uh, seven times the seven, 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 it's – well, let me say it this way. More like seven times the 69, right, because it's not the full 70 yet. Okay. Then that comes out to be 483, and you put those and then – add those numbers to the 444 when it was first given and all of that, it takes you to the time in which Jesus came riding in on Jerusalem around 27 A.D. Okay. So it is a fulfilled prophecy that says that a Mashiach will come. Uh, and that um, uh, and so he came approximately 483 years. You know, And some guy there are actually people have done the math and will tell you exactly what day that he wrote in based off that prophecy right there. The debate is that seventh uh, – I'm sorry, the uh, the seventieth, that final week, that seven years. There's two ways to read that scripture. That is one of the scriptures as well as what is written in the book of Revelation that, that gives people the seven-year tribulation timeline because of that last week, seven years, seven days, all of that. However, there are, again, there are two ways to read it, and that's why I don't – take a, a an absolute on some of these things because it's what people have attributed that scripture to be the antichrist making a covenant with israel for seven years now hold on to your hats that scripture may actually be talking about jesus not the antichrist because it says midway through that seven year he shall put an end to sacrifice well that's what jesus did and so he was here for about three and a half years which is in the middle of the week Um, And that word doesn't say that he will make a covenant. It says he will make a covenant stronger. So that's why you hear a lot of people in the prophetic world talking about these Abraham Accords, because they finally got out of Hebrew lexicon and and did some research, and they figured out that that word does not mean that this person will cut or create a covenant, but this person will strengthen an already existing covenant. That's how you would more accurately interpret that scripture. And so it can be that some – a – a false anti-Messiah is going to make it or confirm a covenant and in the middle of it break that covenant. But it could also be that, that that remaining three and a half years on the other side of Jesus is still yet to be fulfilled. So it could be seven. It might be three and a half. We just have to kind of wait and see on that. But overall, like I said, 90, 95% of that, I believe, is, is accurate. All right. You had talked about Russia and that they were going to play a big part in, in this. Uh, that's exactly what uh, Bible.org says. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It says uh, in Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine, a strange war is predicted in which a great nation to the north of Israel, which uh, they say is without any discussion, just say is a, a reference to Russia. Uh, see verse thirty-eight, six and fifteen, thirty-nine, uh, two. Uh, will be joined by a number of other nations in a sneak attack upon Israel at a time when Israel is at peace, Ezekiel 38.11. Through a number of explanations have been given, uh, though a number of explanations have been given of the prophecy, it seems that the Soviet invasion will come during the first three and a half years uh, leading up to the second coming of Christ. This would correspond to the issue or the time of peace described in Ezekiel 38. See 1 Thessalonians 5.3. This war turns out to be a disaster for Russia and her allies as they will be 
annihilated. Yeah. Is that Samson that you're saying, maybe? Uh, well, no, because then that would cause them to destroy themselves. Okay. Yeah, so that the the debate there is who's coming south. Is it is it Russia? And it's been pushed as Russia because it does say from the far north. Uh, and one of the words that you'll see in the King James Bible, uh, in your Bible, in the English version there, it says the chief prince. Um, well, the word for chief there is rosh, which means the head. So it means basically the the head leader. Um, and, and because the word Rosh, which is where we get Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, they have interpreted that to mean Russia. But that's not what that word means. It just simply means the leader of um, uh, Gog and Magog. So it's possible that it could be Russia, it, and, but it will probably be a mixture with Russia and Turkey. <clears throat> and the reason I – this is my opinion in part why this is going to happen to Russia is because of what they did to God's people – Remember the pogroms and all those things that oh, happened yeah. in the eighteen hundreds, <clears throat> and so the the Russians persecuted God's people very heavily uh, in the seventeen eighteen and early nineteen hundreds uh, until they were able to get out of there when Israel was established and they they came home. So, uh, without a, a re- national repentance from the nation, I could see God going, "You know what? I owe you something." All right, for so what you did to my children. So the bottom line is that you you agree with this that Russia's got some part to play in this. Yeah. To what to what extent? Um, whether they it would have to be such a significant event, and, and I see a scenario. <clears throat> well, what's what's been the theme throughout many of the biblical stories, and for the last two thousand years, the problem is those Jews, and I believe that maybe maybe what happens is I'm just the scenario, not prophesying. Maybe Israel does something like finally goes over and does something from Iran permanently. Maybe they feel that they even have to nuke the facility to annihilate the facility. But something's going to happen that's going to cause a, a national outcry, which the U.N. is not far from doing this anyway. And that is we would have peace in the world and peace in the Middle East if the Jews weren't in the land. And I think that's going to be the, the rallying cry one day in the future because it does say in the rest of that prophecy in Ezekiel that all of the world is going to come against Israel. And God says in that prophecy so that the world will know that I am God. And so the entire globe is going to come against that little piece of land, and the entire globe is going to lose. And it's because at that point the world will go, Yahweh is God. There is no other gods. So that day's coming. That's in part why I also believe that America is about to fall. That's what I said, you're, because America can't be on the, the scene because there's too many Americans that would stand behind Israel. Correct. And so I just don't think we'll be in a position to do anything. It's not that we'll be a part of it. <clears throat> I believe we'll be trying to uh, put everything back together and try and just however that works out, whether it's through a military campaign, financial collapse, you know, whatever. They just won't be in a position to help and Israel will be forced to stand alone. All right, we'll come back. We'll finish it up for today. Steve S. is here. We don't talk about, uh, you know, uh, things of of the future all that uh, that often here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Because to be honest with you, I'm not all that interested in it. I mean, I, I know Jesus is coming back, but I, I always make a joke about it that I'm a pan-millennialist and that, uh, you know, everything will pan out in the end. Uh, when it happens, and it's going to happen whether you want it to happen or not want it to happen. It's going to happen. That's right. And I just I keep my eye on the East, of course, but at the, that same topic, I'm more interested in what am I doing today mm-hmm. to bring glory to my God. And uh, so, I, and I think that's an important thing that we should be always considering 
uh, in our our regular walk with with Christ. All right, let's finish up uh, telling you about Billy Mack here. Finish up our breaks. Uh, as we go into this break, Billy Mack is the owner of ICU Protection. They're the folks that do the protection for Nuke One. They uh, they also will give you the security, the alarming, the monitoring that you need for either your home or your commercial property. I mean, look, if they can do Nuke One, they can uh, cover your living room, cover your bedroom of your house. Uh, they can give you a digital panel that's on your wall so that you can set everything the way you want to make it uh it work. They got door and window sensors, indoor and outdoor cameras, doorbell cameras, motion detection, all that. And they got it for your business as well. Here's the key. The difference that I believe is uh, most evident about uh, ICU protection. And that is when you have them come out and put all this hardware on your house or your business, typically uh, the businesses will look at you and say that'll be what three, four, five, six hundred dollars to pay for that equipment? Not with ICU. ICU, the equipment belongs to you. You're not paying for it up front. You're not going to write them a check about that. The only check you're going to write is for the service that you will be uh, rendered while you're with ICU protection. You call Billy Mack and talk to him about this. He knows it's going to take some time to make you worth the while to be part of his business, but he's willing to take that step. But you have to give him a call. I belong to ICU Protection because they do the job and they do it well, and I feel very secure in my home because of that. Once I set it up and arm my system, I know that it's going to be awful difficult for somebody to get into my house without letting me know that they're coming in. 501-205-1333 is their number. You call them today. They can get you hooked up by the end of the week, I'm sure. 501-205-1333. Talk to Billy Mack at ICU Protect. All right, so we've gotten into epistemology here on the Dave Ellswick Show. That means the study of future things. That means, you know, late great planet Earth kind of stuff. So uh, that I say that that way because it's the easiest way that you understand we're talking about second coming of Christ. And, uh, look, uh, uh, Late Great Planet Earth was a great book, but really was a bunch of fiction. It, uh, there's really not a whole lot of truth uh, to that book. And, and, and that's all right because here, here's the key. It made a lot of people stop and think. Correct. And that's good. That's exactly what Hal Lindsey did. And, um, you know, he's to be thanked for that. I mean, that that he actually tried to tackle that whole thing. One last thing I'd like to talk about, and that is uh, the Jews, of course, uh, they've been blinded to who Christ was. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a time, and that doesn't mean that God made it that they can't see. It It just means because they're so bound and determined to be uh you know sunk into their their own traditions and everything that they can't see so when is that going to change steve well like all things there's multiple views on it no okay (laughs) so some believe uh that the turning will come in um 
the midpoint of the seven year period uh, when it says that the that anti messiah the belief that like Hal Anzi put forth is that when the anti messiah breaks that covenant and then the Jewish people's eyes will be open to realize that they've accepted a false messiah. Uh, and and that's what's going to lead to the 144,000 the book of Revelation talks about, that there's going to be this big outpouring of uh, revelation to the Jewish people. Romans 11 speaks about that, says that if their blindness and if their forsaking of the Messiah brought salvation to the Gentiles, then how much more will their acceptance? So there's going to come a time and when that acceptance comes – uh, and so some believe that that will lead into the, the end-time revival that the book of Revelation speaks about <clears throat> because it will be led by those 144,000 Jews who have seen, as Zechariah talks about, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. Now, okay. Now, before you go any further, okay. I, I got into a discussion with this over the weekend. Who are the two prophets that show up during this time? The, the, the speculation is it's Moses and Elijah. Okay. Um, some say it w- will include Enoch because he didn't die because he was taken, and Elijah because he went up as well. Because they'll, they'll use things like the book of uh, Hebrews where it says it's appointed unto man to die once. And because they didn't die, they expect to be the two witnesses. Uh, I think that we're, I think it's the, the Elijah and Moses because of the all of the language that's used in those surrounding chapters around those two. Um, are almost exactly all of the plagues that happened in Egypt are quoted and then calling down the fire from heaven, which is something Elijah did. So it seems, though, that the allusions there are to it being Elijah and Moses. Okay. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Go ahead. Uh, and then the other view on the um, when the Jews will accept is when they actually see him split the sky and then they will look upon him whom he, they have pierced. And so that's another view is that it will actually be when he's coming back and about to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. Because it says when he comes back, he'll roll the sky back like a scroll. Correct. And so <clears throat> I tend to lean towards the view that they will see and then they will be the leaders of the end times revival. That they And now I do believe they're going to be pushed. The Bible itself calls them a stubborn, stiff-necked people, and I believe that they're going to be on the verge, and the way I say it is they're going to have one foot in the land of Israel and another foot in the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and they're going to be in a position where they're about to lose again, uh, and then I believe that their uh, revelation will come. Now, whether that is one view, you know, or whether they just, you know, God just opens their eyes and all of a sudden things just start happening, it's, we don't know, but there is going to come a time. Uh, and Israel being in back in the land is a very significant piece of that because when Jesus was about the week, uh, Palm Sunday, he wrote in and said, how I long to gather you, but you are not willing. <clears throat> and he said, you, Jerusalem, will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the, right. the Lord, which is, you will not see me again until you acknowledge I'm the Messiah. So in order for that to have happened, Israel had to exist and be back in the land, and Jerusalem had to be in control of the Jewish people's hands. So I believe they're going to make that declaration in the midst of that seven years, not at the end of it as it's coming. All right, Steve, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming in today. Dave Ellswick Show, I'll be back at 9. David Horowitz will join us, former communist. His parents were not anymore. Let's see what he has to say here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final hour of the show today. Let's get it underway. One of my buddies is on with us today. Man, I have a lot of respect for. He's written multiple books. Used to be a, a real lefty. Used to be a communist. So was his parents. Used to write uh, some of the most most 
biggest leftist misfits, uh, misfits that you've ever seen. And uh, then suddenly the light went on in his head and he went, whoa, this is wrong. And he's uh, totally turned uh, a 180. He's got a new book out. He is the author of the book Final Battle, probably the best book that he's ever written. And uh, his name is David Horwitz. David, good to have you back on with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is an important book for you. I mean, this this book is like every book that you've ever written put together in one volume, isn't it? Yeah, it, it explains the threat to our country. Um, the subtitle is The Next Election Could Be the Last. And uh, I... I if you read the book, uh, you'll come to the same conclusion. Uh, the Biden administration is a criminal administration, although, you know, Republicans are too polite to ever mention this. Um, probably the worst crime ever committed against our country was Biden's destruction of the southern border, of actually all our borders. Uh, and it was completely illegal and unconstitutional. The president is the executive branch. Of, uh, we have a separation of powers, which has protected us for over 200 years. The president uh, is in the executive branch. His authority is to enforce the law, yep. not to change it. Congress needs the legislature's tests with changing the immigration law. But Biden changed it just by announcing the changes and nobody challenging him. Uh, and they not only have they let in millions, four million, I believe, just in the last two years, uh, but we know from the past studies of these people that he's let in over a million criminals with them, not to mention terrorists, uh, not to mention c countries that emptied their jails to send them to the United States. So it, it's just frightening to contemplate all the human suffering that Biden has caused and so far got away with um, the... The gist of my book is that these people are radicals, which I was once. If you're a radical, you are a criminal because you don't believe in any of the laws of the land. If you did, you, you, you know, there's means of changing and you can win elections and uh, reform things. But a radical wants to... Uh, extirpated root and branch. Now, that's why they call the Constitution white supremacist, which is ridiculous. The words black and white don't even appear in the Constitution. But the left is calling it white supremacist. Yep. Because they, they don't want anybody to respect it. They don't respect it. You know, this exercise we've just been through where the Republicans took 15 votes to elect um, Kevin McCarthy 
it's Nancy Pelosi is at the root of that. For 240-odd years, uh, Thomas Jefferson, um, his rule was if one member of Congress uh, objects, you know, to the speaker, you have to have a vote on it. Mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi changed that. And she changed it so she could turn the Congress into a rubber stamp. I was shocked to find out during this controversy that there hasn't been a debate on a bill on the House floor in 10 years. What the Democrats do is they compile these omnibus bills that, that are wrecking our economy. Um, and they just ram them through. Nobody reads them. Nobody discusses them and so forth. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, there's some light at the end of this tunnel. I think people are getting more and more fed up. But the way they use January 6th, is the way the Nazis used the Reichstag fire. Hitler was actually elected Chancellor of Germany, and within a month, Nazis had drawn up a law to outlaw all opposition to them. Uh, and somebody set fire to the rice there, which is their capital. Um, and they blamed it on the communists, and they outlawed everybody except the Nazis. And you can see the Democrats are following that playbook. Um, you know, the, there was a protest in the Capitol. It was pretty peaceful compared to all the leftists insurrectionary protests where they burned federal buildings, police stations, set fire to the uh, Church of the Presidents, uh, burned all of the gatehouses at the White House. Uh, that would seem insurrectionary. Uh, but the Democrats immediately came out and called this protest in the Capitol and an armed insurrection. Then when it was immediately revealed that no arms were confiscated, all they did was drop the armed and call it an insurrection, uh, which is the same as treason. Uh, they didn't explain, however, how you can have an insurrection that's not unarmed, which you can't, obviously. Then they lied and said that five, Hacking Jeffrey said this, that five Capitol Police officers were murdered by the protesters. Um, the number of Capitol, of Capitol Police officers killed is actually zero. The one person who was killed is Ashley Babbitt, who is uh, 40 years old, five feet tall, a 14-year Air Force veteran who was standing, uh, actually there were three police officers around her, threatening no one when she was murdered in cold blood. It's all on, on uh, video. Yep. Uh, and uh, Nancy Pelosi protected the killer to feel his name and quashed any investigation and, and basically exonerated him. 
That makes her an accomplice to murder. But Republicans are too polite to make that accusation. Uh, and the, the mentality of the Biden administration, their thugs, was revealed this week. Uh, Ashley Babbitt's grieving mother for two years has demonstrated at the at the Capitol. Um, and uh, I guess last week, they arrested her for jaywalking. I mean, how cruel and heartless is that? That's fascism. That's the mentality of the Biden administration, fascist. Well, you, you, you just mentioned Hakeem Jeffries, and had Hakeem Jeffries, when he gave his speech right before they uh, passed the gavel to McCarthy, showed us exactly what the Democrats were, were like. Let me, let me remind everybody, let me play this, this uh, clip that I've got from Hakeem Jeffries speaking uh, from the well of the House. But I also want to make clear that we will never compromise our principles. House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy over negativity, opportunity over obstruction, people over politics, quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, understanding over ugliness, voting rights over voter suppression, working families over the well-connected, xenial over xenophobia, yes we can over you can't do it, and zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. Okay, so there you have a perfect example of everything that he said was wrong with the Republicans was really what was wrong with the Democratic Party. But he showed his hatred for this country. It just came out in this this overflowing, uh, uh, you know, speech that he gave. Yeah, they're thugs. They're gangsters is what they are. Um, this thing about voter suppression, there was a bipartisan commission headed by Jimmy Carter and James Baker, who was Bush's uh, chief of staff uh, in, in 2005 because of the 2000 election, which had to be decided by the Supreme Court. And it was for, for election reform that would make it more difficult to cheat or for irregularities to take place. And the number one recommendation was strengthen the voter ID laws, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which the Democrats, uh, I mean, it's very Orwellian, they call it, they're very good at this, by the way. They call it voter suppression. Everything the Democrats, the Democrats organized a massive campaign 
to fix the 2020 election. 600 lawyers and 10,000 volunteers set out to change the election laws. And what they did was they reversed every recommendation of the Carter-Baker Commission to make it easy to cheat. Uh, and we just saw that in uh, Arizona. Um, you know, the Democrats have destroyed Election Day. Now you can vote for votes in advance of Election Day. And they have, uh, they're very good at organizing, so they get out all of their supporters in the pre-election day uh, uh, period. Um, and, and the public support is concentrated on election day. So guess what? On election day, 60% of the voting machines in Arizona were not functioning. 60%. I mean, that's such a vacant uh, theft. Yeah, Maricopa County, where they have all their, whenever there's a problem with elections, that's where it happens. That is the sixth largest county in the United States as far as voters are concerned. David Horowitz is our guest. He is the author of the new book, Final Battle. The next election could be the last. When you think you've heard it all, rest assured that you haven't. Because David Horowitz is going to tell you what you haven't heard and that you need to be aware of. And we'll continue our conversation with him when we get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You want a piece of jewelry like I uh, got for myself and my wife uh, at Christmas time? You know, I've got the, the Star of David and the cross together to encapsulate my belief system, uh, you know, as far as religion goes. And uh, that was made by Eric Coleman at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Well, you might not want what I've got, but you might want something special for you and your wife, something that you two can wear that's absolutely you know, to just you two. Well, to make that happen, all you got to do is stop by and see Eric Coleman. He'll design a piece of jewelry for you. All you have to do is sit down and talk to him, tell you what you, what you want, you know, how you want it made, how you want it to look. Uh, you know, do you want any kind of, of uh, gemstones in it? What kind of metals do you want it made out of? He can do it all. The guy is an artisan. He's amazing. Uh, people look at this... Uh, you know, you know, Star David cross that I have, and they're like, who did that? And I said, Eric Coleman, of course. I talk about him every day on my show. Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. They're located 3000 Cavanaugh, Suite E. They're open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m., and you can stop by, talk to them about their, uh, you know, getting something made, or you can talk about all the, the great display pieces they have in their cases. You can talk about estate jewelry. How much is it worth? Or do you want to melt it down and make it into something special? The quality of the, the stones that uh, Eric has. You can talk about it all. And, of course, repairs and cleanings uh, are done by Hillcrest Designer Jewelry as well. 3000 Cavanaugh. Stop by. Visit Eric at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. All right, back with you, final segment with David Horowitz, the author of brand new book out. Need to get this one, I'm telling you. Yeah, this is is this is like the the whole ball of wax put together by David called Final Battle. The next election could be the last uh, here in America. And of course, as I was telling you, just when you think you've heard it all, 
you can rest assured uh, that you have not. Uh, Let me just give you a couple of things that David is talking about in his book. He talks about there now exists an existential threat to American democracy greater than any other or greater than our nation has ever faced. Democracy as we know it is being obliterated at the hands of Democrats who pose a deadly threat to our freedom. And their real goal is a one-party state. They're willing to break even constitutional provision, law, precedent, and procedure to see that it happens. Final Battle is the name of the book. And let's get back to David. And David, what was it that... That made you have to write this book. I mean, you wrote Dark Agenda here not too long ago, and I thought that was one of the best books you've ever written. But what I'm seeing on this, and I haven't gotten a copy of this, but I'm going to get a copy and read it. It looks like, like I said, you put all the ball of wax. I mean, I looked. I listened to Jeffries in that that uh, piece of uh, audio I played, and he said kangaroo courts. Well. The Democrats should understand that. Let's take a look at the January 6th commission. If there, if there was nothing more than a kangaroo court, that was it. In fact, I would say it was a Soviet star chamber that we, that we viewed. Show trials for the defense. Uh, nobody was there to ask uh, the panel, if Donald Trump had planned an insurrection, why did he offer something like a week before the event, why did he offer to recruit or to put out uh, 2,000 or 20,000 National Guardsmen to protect the Capitol? Mm-hmm. It, it's such a lie. And if you read the, his Stop the Steal speech, what he urges his followers is to go in and shake the spines of weak Republicans uh, and if they fail, go back to their districts and, pr- and primary them in the next election. Completely within the Democratic frame, uh, it, it's the Democrat Party that respect the Constitution of the law. You know, and Republicans are so weak in their response. They, they say, for example, that Democrats are soft on crime. They're not soft on crime. They're pro-crime. They think that crime is a revolutionary act of redistributing income. Uh, they're Marxists is basically what they are. And I know this very well. I've watched for 50 years from the time of the Democratic Convention in 1968 where they staged a riot to destroy the election chances of Hubert Humphrey. I watched the left steadily take over the Democratic Party. It's a very radical party now, uh, and very de- devious. Uh, and it lies. The lies that it tells are hard to believe that people would think that anybody would believe them. But they, they lie about everything at the top of the hat, starting with the president himself. Well, whenever they I mean, say when, the border prices on Republicans, when Democrats controlled three branches of government, and the border was destroyed by Biden personally mm-hmm. on, on his inauguration day with sixty-two executive orders that dismantled all the protections that Trump had put in place. 
Yeah. We've never had a worse human being as president in our entire history as this man. Nasty beyond belief. Why is it the drop of a hat? You know, people kind of excuse him because he's clearly lost part of his mind. But I don't think he can do that. No, I don't think you can tell tell people that you, know, you got to cut him some slack. You don't want to cut him some slack. He's destroying our nation. I'm I'm wholeheartedly with you on this. Final battle, new book, the next election could be the last by David Horowitz. David, thanks for the time. We appreciate you joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You're always welcome here. Anytime you want to be on, send me a, a text or an email, and and we'll we'll make it so. All right. Okay, Dave. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. David Horowitz here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's a book that you need to read. Um, uh, Let me talk to their people and see if I can't get a couple of free copies and give them away on the air here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Come back. We'll finish it up for the day. Don't forget to uh, coming up later on today, 12 o'clock, the swearing in of the new governor of Arkansas. Today, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, tomorrow on the show, uh, we'll get it underway at uh, uh, 7 o'clock, of course. Uh, I'll be on at 6, but at 7, uh, we'll be talking with our congressman and uh, what's going on up there now that we got the speaker's fight done, we've got the rules package uh, passed. Uh, what are they excited about seeing happening uh, in the new um, uh General Assembly there in Washington, D.C. We'll talk about the General Assembly uh, here in uh, Arkansas as well during the first hour. Last hour, we'll be talking about taxes tomorrow. Uh, having somebody come, what do, you, what do you do when the IRS is out to get you? Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, we have someone locally here that does all those things that you hear those national companies does, uh, and they do a really good job of it. You probably hear them here on the show from time to time uh, uh, talking about their business. But we're going to have them come in tomorrow and spend an hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show and, and talking about all of that. And if you got some tax questions, you know, be ready to call in tomorrow, 501-823-0965, and uh, they'll be ready to um, try to answer and try to help you out with those. Some interesting things are going on here uh, in the country dealing with education. And I thought this was an interesting story, especially since it happens or is happening up in Seattle, which is not part of the country that you think people are going to be overly conservative looking at uh, uh, things about education. The public school district in Seattle has filed a a lawsuit against the tech giants behind TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Snapchat. They're seeking to hold them accountable for the mental health crisis among the youth. Now, these are studies that are coming out and showing that these types of apps do have a detrimental effect on young people. Seattle Public Schools filed the lawsuit Friday in U.S. District Court. It's a 91-page complaint. says that the social media companies have created a public nuisance by targeting their products to children. It blames them 
for worsening mental health and behavioral disorders, including anxiety, depression, disordered eating, and cyberbullying, making it more difficult to educate students and forcing schools to take steps such as hiring additional mental health professionals, developing lesson plans about the effects of social media, and providing additional training to teachers. This is, by the way, the same school district that supports LGBT education in classrooms. Uh, That's uh, written about in a magazine called Seattle Schools. While social media no doubt has an impact on the mental health of a child, of course it's up to parents to regulate the child's consumption, and you're going to hear that a lot when uh, this lawsuit is heard. But I, I think that there probably is uh, some areas that need to be looked at, especially in the whole transgender uh, thing that's going on and uh, and other uh, belief systems that young people are showing now that are being mimicked and being pushed through social media. John Saller uh, describes how diversity, equity, and inclusion from hot air uh, took over U.S. universities and uh, how it now do- dominates hiring, promotion, tenure and pay decisions. I should have Robert Steinbach on right now. He's been writing extensively about this. The hiring of DEI administrators, again, that that's diversity, equity, and inclusion people, by universities has been going on for more than 10 years now. But a major change came when California's UC system made mandatory diversity statements part of the hiring process for all faculty. The Free Press reporting, the principles commonly known as diversity, equity, and inclusion are meant to sound like a promise to provide welcome and opportunity to all on campuses. And to the ordinary American, those values sound virtuous and unobjectionable. However, many working in academia increasingly understand that they instead imply a set of controversial political and social views, and that in order to advance in their careers, they must demonstrate fealty to vague and ever-expanding DEI demands and to the people who enforce them failing to comply or expressing doubt or concern means risking career ruin. Uh, That's out by the Free Press as, as well. Now, Robert and I have been on the air talking about this for some quite, well, for quite some time. And I, I can tell you that they're absolutely right about this, that this whole idea of when they talk about, uh, d- uh, you know, d- diversity, equity and inclusion, most people go, oh, that sounds good. We need diversity in the workplace. Uh, we need equity. We need inclusion. But what they're what they're saying and what they offer are two different things. Absolutely two uh, different things. And I promise you this: here on my show, we'll continue to fight the fight against this stuff. And uh, it, it is not it's not good what they're trying to do. And then before we get to our final break here, 
story coming out uh, this morning. Uh, Gen Zers are not proud to be Americans. That's interesting. This is how you know you're privileged when you cannot recognize your own privilege. Why don't you think about that? All right. This is when you know you're privileged when you can't recognize your own privilege. The percent of Americans who say that they are proud to live in the United States by generations are baby boomers. About three-quarters of us still feel like we're proud to live in the USA. 73, or pardon me, 54 percent of Gen Xers are proud to live in our country. Millennials, 36 percent. And Gen Z, that's the folks after the millennials, 16 percent. All right, and they uh, they all say, you know, they, they make this statement, says the morning consult, that uh, how you know that you're privileged when you cannot recognize your own privilege. That is a scary definition, to say the least. It'll tell you that, you know, the reason that you don't know, if you're a white person, that you're a white supremacist is because you're white. That's why you don't know. You can't. You can't see it because you're white. Now, it has nothing to do, being a supremacist has nothing to do with your color. It has to do with what you believe. And when I look at, you know, what, a, what people believe on, uh, you know, in, in other ethnic groups, uh, they're supremacists as well. They're racist as well. No doubt about it. When you believe that your race is the ultimate race and has the ultimate answer, and you can't see that because of the things that you're saying, then know that you've reached that point where you can't tell it because you are it. All right, got to get our break in. 17 more minutes to go. We'll be back. I got more uh, to talk about when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's finish it up for today. We've got about uh, 14 minutes. That, uh, don't let me uh, forget to mention to you. Uh, that at noon, we'll have live coverage of all the happenings at the Capitol. Uh, Aaron is going to be anchoring that for you, and uh, you'll be able to hear the swearing-in ceremony as uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders takes the oath of uh, the governorship here in the state of Arkansas. She'll be the first woman governor here in our state, and then we'll carry her speech, her inauguration speech, after after her uh, spe- uh, swearing in. And uh, you'll get to hear it all right here on 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. I don't know if you saw it or not over the weekend, but 60 Minutes uh, brought uh, Paul Ehrlich back. Now, he's the man who wrote the, the book uh, back in the day in, the six- in 1968, The Population Bomb of when I was a, uh, a freshman in high school was a huge book. I mean, man, you, we had to read it in class, in biology, 
Uh, we discussed his theories in biology, uh, and uh, he had almost a, a godlike uh, belief system going. And so they brought him on to talk about extinction again. And this is a guy who should know about extinction. He's, he's predicted about 20 pre, uh, extinctions over the last 60 years and uh, been wrong on every one of them. This is a guy whose who's, uh, specialty lies in butterflies. But yet he talked about overpopulation. Everybody, uh, you know, just fell down at, at his feet. Uh, it's one of the most destructive of the 20th century, that book was, because it was just absolutely false. Uh, the long screed not only made him a celebrity, but gave end of day alarmists, uh, you know, a whole uh, patina of, of colors to paint with and gave them scientific legitimacy. It popularized uh, alarmism as a political tool that you've seen with uh, the whole thing about, you know, uh, uh, the Green New Deal and uh, climate change and all of that. And it normalized authoritarian and anti-humanist policies uh, as a cure. I mean, that's what I mean. He wanted the government to take it over. You know, his whole idea was the same way the Chinese did, uh, that families should be relegated to only having so many kids, and uh, they can only have so many girls and hope so many boys, the whole nine yards. Uh, you know, his prodigy are other media-flavored hysterics by other uh, anti-humanists like Al Gore uh, and, uh, and others. And, and uh, they believe that we're on the precipice right now of mass extinction. And none of this is to mention the thousands of other little airlicks uh, nudging you to eat insects, gluing themselves to roads, and demanding you surrender the most basic conveniences and necessities of, of modern life. For instance, I mentioned this to you uh, earlier in the show today. And that is that they're looking to outlaw gas stoves. Now, I'm not making that up. This is a serious uh, uh, thing that has uh, been uh, going on here in the country. I, I hadn't heard this uh, of, of it happening. But uh, these federal agencies now want to get rid of uh, gas stoves. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission has set up uh, open comment times, a period, on the dangers of gas stoves, and they're going to do that sometime uh, during this winter. The commission could set standards on emissions from the gas stoves and are talking about perhaps even banning the manufacture or import of the appliances. That's, that's per the commissioner themselves. Bloomberg uh, reporting... Nash, uh, natural gas stoves, which are used in about 40% of the homes here in the United States, emit air pollutants such as nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and fine particulate matter at levels the EPA and the World Health Organization have said are unsafe and linked to respiratory illness, cardiovascular disease, 
cancer, and other health conditions. That, according to reports by groups such as the Institute for Policy Integrity and the American Chemical Society, says Bloomberg. I mean, we've been moving to using ethanol more, and uh, we know that that will destroy, if you get it uh, too much of ethanol and gasoline, will destroy the gaskets in, like, your mower and in your trimmer and all the rest. That's why they're pushing electric trimmers, electric uh, mowers, and all the rest. They lie to you incessantly, and they continue to lie to you. I mean, how long have we had gas stoves in the United States? And they're saying that they just discovered this now? That's BS. That's a lie that they're using uh, for you. They want you to be living in perpetual fear and that the only person that can save you from these uh, cataclysmic events is the government. Like how they saved you from COVID. Har, har, har. Okay? I mean, that's, that's, what, they're, that's what they're saying. They want you in a perpetual state of, uh, of stress and tension about all of these different things because many of you believe that the answer to those things is the government. And the bigger the government, the better it'll be. When in fact, the bigger the, the, bigger the government, the worse it will be. I mean, why would anybody believe the World Health Organization after COVID? The battle to feed all of humanity is opening over is the opening line of the 1968 book, The Population Bomb. Now, let me read what Ehrlich said. In the 70s, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. It was likely, he went on, that the oceans would be without life by 1979. Still see whales swimming around the ocean? Still see fish? Still see plankton? Yeah, he's missed it. Well, every time he talks about extinction, he misses it. And the United States would see its population plummet to 23 million. 23 million. How many we got in this country now? Well over 300 million. But 23 million by 1999 due to what? Pesticides. We're all going to die because of pesticides. Quote, the death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. He told that to Mademoiselle magazine back in 1970. When Julian Simon offered uh, the biologist his famous wager, Ehrlich responded by saying, if I were a gambler, I would take even... I would take even money that England will not exist in the year 2000. Instead, Ehrlich 
picked five natural resources he believed would experience shortages due to human consumption. Let me let me run over these for you. This this guy back in the the early the late sixties, early seventies, eighties, and nineties was quoted like God Almighty. Well, he lost the bet on all counts. As the composite price index for uh, the commodities, copper and chromium and so on, fell by more than 40%. They didn't shoot up into the atmosphere because, he said, because they were going to become such rare minerals. Copper, of all things, a rare mineral. Despite there being 800 million new people during that time. We've dealt with this. We We did a show about this. And I guess I need to do it again because... Uh, 60 Minutes is still out, you know, pushing this guy's crap. It's not merely that Ehrlich is always spectacularly wrong about the future, but that he remains unrepentant in 2009. He's like Al Gore. When did you ever hear Al Gore said inconvenient truth was hogwash? And that it isn't coming, it's not came true and it isn't coming true. No, they double, triple, quadruple down on it all the time. You listen to Biden. We got to get the Green New Deal. If we don't, the earth as we know it will now exist. Ehrlich argued in 2009 that perhaps the most serious flaw in the population bomb was that it was much too optimistic (laughs) about the future. We will soon be asking, is it perfectly okay to eat the bodies of your dead because we're all so hungry? Man, this guy watched too many times, watched Soylent Green. Ehrlich warned in 2014, one year later, there were 200 million uh, fewer people suffering from hunger than 1990, despite there being 2 billion more people inhabiting the earth. Much like today's environmentalist, Ehrlich offered a slew of uh, uh, governmental programs and economic prescriptions to salvage the earth. In 1977's Ecoscience, a book he co-authored with Barack Obama's future science czar, John Holdren, Ehrlich toyed with the idea of adding sterilant to drinking water or staple foods. You hear me? sterilants to drinking water, staple foods, and and compelling abortions to save the world from human beings. That was back in 1977. That was President Obama's science czar. When did you hear that talked about? You didn't. So 60 Minutes frames their, uh, they frame up their whole thing about what the world is going to look like by having that ignorant ass on 60 minutes and making his uh, BS prophecies to all of you. There's no difference in listening to that guy and reading a a book by Nostradamus and expecting that you'll be able to figure out what the future is going to be. Please be smart. Please 
look and read and and uh, find out what's going on as far as food production and things of that nature. Are there some dangers on the horizon? Of course. But we've met those dangers consistently, and I believe we will consistently continue to meet those dangers and surmount them. All right, time for me to get out of here. It's Dave Ellswick's show. Hope you have a good day. That was That really was optimism there on my part. Because I don't want you to believe this crap that someone like, like Ehrlich is out still perusing uh, by the people of 60 Minutes and stuff. Leslie Stahl, retire! You're, you have gotten to be a point that you are nothing more than an embarrassment to journalism. I'm Dave Ellswick. I'll see you again tomorrow, 6 a.m., right here on 101. Don't forget, coverage of the uh, governor's uh, swearing in and her speech coming up at noon.